on my way to church this morning, I bumped into somebody that I uh, hadn't seen in a while, a um, friend in the, in the village, and he was telling me about how his sister had been on, a, on this just this, this incredible expedition, and she, she came back home, back home in the village, uh, and sounded amazing. Um, so I was asking him, I was asking him where, where she had been, and he said, uh, Alaska. And I, was, and I said, no, it's okay, I'll ask her myself. Um, Matthew Matthew five is uh, is where we. <laughs> I did enjoy that. Um, Matthew five is where we are. We're looking at the red letters of Jesus. Um, uh, George sent me a really nice message this week, and uh, and in it contained, I think, which would be what would be a great hashtag: living in the red. Um, that's uh, that's what we're after this in in this uh, in our Sunday mornings. Not just our Sunday mornings, but hopefully our whole of life, this red letter living, living in the red, whatever way you want to put this. What does red letter Christianity look like? What does taking the words of Jesus seriously mean for us? Um, and so that's that's what we're doing. And the, and this, uh, I still don't have necessarily long-term vision for where we're going to go with this, when it's going to end. Uh, and that's good. I've come to terms with that. Really excited about what we're going to be doing. Um, but this morning, uh, all I want to look at, I don't know if we're necessarily going to go through all the Beatitudes one by one, but this morning I just want to look at the first one. I want to talk a wee bit around uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm conscious of, I think I've maybe already said it differently twice, blessed or blessed. What are people, what's the, what's the right way to say it? Um, forgive me if I change the pronunciation of that throughout. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what we, how we started last week, the first Sunday of January, um, this idea of taking the words of Jesus seriously. And we, we actually spent a bit of time last week just talking about why Jesus can be trusted. If we're going to, say, if we're going to put the claim on, on uh, taking the words of Jesus seriously, we wanted to talk a wee bit about why he's, his words can be trusted, why he is the expert when it comes to life, when it comes to living, uh, why his authority is worth uh, us giving our attention to. And then, uh, so we, we started off um, a wee bit in, in Matthew 5, talked about these, a wee bit about these Beatitudes, how Jesus is making this announcement. These are announcements that Jesus is making of what the kingdom of God looks like. When the rule and reign of God is established, what does it look like? And Jesus makes these announcements of a wee bit of what it looks like. And so when it comes to the idea of, of, of being blessed, I think, it, I think we can compare, we can, we're probably not too far off the thinking of ancient Jewish culture, I would suggest. Ancient Jewish culture had this understanding that of uh, maybe this warped, possibly, understanding of what it was, of who it was that was blessed. So at the time of Jesus, uh, the blessed were considered those who were healthy. The blessed were considered those who were rich, those who were educated, um, those maybe in, in the positions of power. If you wanted to see where the blessing of God was, who was blessed, that's where you looked. And, um, and I still think today we, we can easily fall into that same trap. If your life looked good, it was because God had blessed you for your religious devotion. 
He had blessed you because of all that you had done. Um, and I still, uh, and actually the opposite, just in case it, I don't want to just assume that we, we know it, probably goes without saying that the opposite is also true. Um, that if you weren't blessed, it was because of your lack of religious devotion. It was because of a lack of what you had done. Um, and I think that we still see signs of that in, uh, in, in, in even sometimes in our presentation of the gospel. It's a lot about what we do rather than as we've sang what he has done. So if things were bad, it was because of your religious devotion. And if we had time today, and I'm going to assume that a lot of us are familiar-ish with the story of Job, that was the, that was the problem with his, the friends of Job. Like they, that was, they had good reason for believing what they believed, but essentially they were saying to Job, this is because of your lack of religious devotion. It's because of something that you have done that you're no longer blessed. Um, so what the people did, and I think there is several places that we could look at the Gospels, people then put on a, put on a display, put on a display to show that they were better than they were. And so if we were to think this morning, I'm not going to have a, have a go with social media. I don't want to do that. But in some ways, modern, our modern social media, there is this desire to be perceived as blessed. There's this desire to be perceived as having it all together. This desire to be perceived as successful. Fill in, fill in other blanks if you want. Having, having it all together, trying to perceive, trying to present an image of having it all together leads people to project something that is not necessarily true. And I think we, we see that in social media. People are, are, are tempted or sucked into that. Um, and that, that is the same in, in the, at the time of Jesus. The desire to be perceived as blessed, the desire to be perceived as successful, led people to project an image that was not necessarily true. And so Jesus then comes in this this famous, most important sermon, and as we suggested last week, turns absolutely everything on its head. We don't have time for it this morning, but Jesus, or Matthew, the gospel writer, uh, is purposely uh, paralleling Jesus with Moses. If we want to again think back to last week, that he is putting real authority on what uh, Jesus is doing. Because just like Moses going up to receive the law, here we have Jesus going up the mountain to essentially give a new law, if you want to put it that way. And then Jesus begins to describe what, who is really blessed. Jesus begins to describe, as he's turning everything on his head, he now is going to describe who it is that is blessed and who it is that has most to gain by the arrival of his kingdom. And so let me read, I know I'm, most, I'm going to touch just on blessed are the poor in spirit, but just let me read all of this announcement that Jesus makes. He begins to describe who it is that is really blessed. Um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I love this, Andrew. Thank you. Tamar, thank you. Red letters right here, huh? Perfect. Um, blessed are those who, sorry, I lost my place, so I'm going to say it'll be at six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are, those, 
the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And again, make no apologies for, for, for reading this again, and I think we should um, continue to, to read this, because essentially this is, this is our... Like, this is our modus operandi, whatever it is that you want to call us. This is our, what sets us apart as followers of Jesus. This is what it looks like when the kingdom comes. And it is so radical. And we are, I am guilty of this. I'm not going to put it in everybody else, but I'm so guilty of just becoming so over-familiar with stuff that we miss how radical, powerful, uh, counterintuitive, countercultural it is. And so that's, uh, that's my heart in this, is trying to get us to hear it, hear it again, hear it as if it was the first time we're hearing it. I love what Scott McKnight says about these, uh, these announcements. He says, clearly Jesus goes against the grain. And instead of blessing the one who pursues wisdom and reason and develops a reputation as a sage or a teacher, and instead of blessing the one who has a good family, blessing the one who observes the whole Torah, or the one who has all the right friends and develops a reputation as righteous or as a leader, Jesus blesses those whom no one else blessed. Jesus blesses those whom no one else blessed. And for me, not to bore, bore you with a history lesson, but it is, it is so countercultural, it is so counterintuitive that people like Augustine, like I appreciate so, a lot of what Augustine said, but Augustine tried to say that this was only, whenever he began to read through the Sermon on the Mount, I think because it was so radical, because it was so costly, because it was turning everything on its head, he tried to say that it was only for a certain group. He tried to say that, that he tried to separate the disciples from the crowd. He tried to use Matthew 5 verse 1 to say that um, he brought the disciples up onto the mountainside and he began to teach them. And that's a, that seems like a big deal to me, to, to, to try to pivot a whole way of thinking on this one verse. But Augustine tried to say that this was for almost for, for the disciples, for the, the, the elite. Maybe he wouldn't have used that, maybe that's unfair. But for the disciples rather than for the lady, for all of the people. So for those maybe who were monks or nuns or whatever whatever was about in the sort of third, fourth, fifth century. Um, that was really, it was really, I think, potentially really harmful. Um, because if we were to follow on Matthew, Matthew 7, the end of Matthew 7, it says all the, as, as, the, as Jesus was wrapping things up, the crowds were astonished. I don't think there's any good reason to try to separate the disciples from the crowd when it comes to living this out. Um, and then it led, to other, it led to other things. Luther, Luther in the 1400s, 1500s, he tried to say that there are almost like two hats. There's two kingdoms. There's times where you put on this kingdom hat, but there will be times where you... You don't, you don't, you don't turn the other cheek, or you don't love your enemies, and you take the, the kingdom hat on and put another hat on. Like that—that's essentially what he, what he, what he said. Um, 
But anyway, all of all of that to say, all of that sidetrack to say this sermon, this these beatitudes, these announcements that Jesus is making, his words are for all people at all times. That may seems obvious to say, but I just want to make sure that I say it. The words that Jesus is speaking here are for all of us. They're for Lucia as much as they are for who's the oldest? Granda. Um or dad, sorry, not my granda. Um so the poor in spirit, let me let me just spend a few minutes here before as we as we as we wrap up. Poor in spirit, what is it about this? What is it about the poor in spirit that reflects the kingdom of God? See what, what Jesus is speaking about here, he's not presenting another bunch of rules. This is not a bunch of rules that Jesus is laying down here. This is uh he is describing a way of life. Describing a way of life, what it looks like when the kingdom comes. He's describing what it looks like when the when God reigns over a life. Why I'm probably feeling exercised about like sharing this over the next number of weeks. This is what it looks like when God reigns over a community. When God reigns over a people, this is what it looks like. I suppose for me, as as maybe we're still in that place of of starting out a new year. Maybe we're still in that place of like laying down some markers. Um, and so it feels to me important that we just uh, reflect a wee bit on what it is that reflects the kingdom of God in this statement, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because I want us all to know, I want us all to hear that I, I strongly believe that this is about an attitude. This is not about an economic status. It's not about a poverty mindset. It's not about some sort of false piety. It's not about... Uh, pursuing lack to try and find a way to be blessed. Um, this is about an attitude. And uh, there's a theologian, Robert Gulick, he, he wrote this, which I find helpful. The poor in spirit now as then. So for us now, the same way as it was back in the, in the first century, the poor in spirit now as then are ultimately those standing without pretense before God. Standing without pretense before God, stripped of all self-sufficiency, all self-security, and all self-righteousness. And everything about that, like I, I, I read that quote, and I'm sitting in this purring spirit, reflecting on the purring spirit, that it's, that it's an attitude. It's about um, being stripped of all self-sufficiency, self-security, and self-righteousness. And like, this is so counterintuitive. This goes against everything that... That my flesh wants to do, that my that that I'm in myself want to believe that I am able to make it by myself, that I am able to to be secure in myself, that I'm able to be righteous in myself, um, is so counterintuitive because it's the opposite. It's essentially the opposite of being self reliant, um, the opposite of self righteousness. It's this awareness and that. So all of that to say, if you miss everything else, if you've been distracted by anything else, hear this. It's a, the poor, blessed of the poor in spirit are those who are aware of how much you need God. That is what, whenever the kingdom of God comes, when the reign of God comes and reigns over a life and over a community, it looks like people aware, so aware of how much they need God. 
so aware that everything that they have has been given. I think that's what it looks like. That is the attitude of someone who is poor in spirit. They know how much they need God, an awareness. So I know that, it, that we would all, like, I will say this, no problem from my mouth, but an, like an actual, real-life awareness of how much I need God, aware that everything that I have has been given. And I think a message for, for me, and I think a message for the church in general, is also around this idea of how we can become so confident in not only our self-sufficiency and our self-security, but our self-righteousness. There's other words that Jesus said, other red letters that I'm going to just finish with this morning, because I am so aware in myself, and I'm so aware in the church. But look at the church with a bit of a critical, um, with a bit of a critical eye. We can become so confident in our own righteousness, and what does that look like for me, anyway? And I think for the church in general, what it looks like is how we compare and contrast ourselves with others favorably. Um. Of forget, and, and that leads us to a place where, it, for me, this is what happens in me, where I forget that I, I'm standing here, um, whatever it is that I'm doing, it's all about his grace. And once I move into a place of being confident in my own righteousness, once I move into a place of comparing and contrasting myself with others favorably, the, the idea of standing alone only in his grace becomes, uh, becomes something that is not true. Um, so Luke, Luke 18, and I know that we, we, we were here not that long ago in these verses in Luke 18. Um, but let me go back to them again just quickly for, f- for the last couple of minutes here. Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. Um, to some who, and perf- Jesus, or Luke sets it up perfectly, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Um, he said it better than I was trying to say it. Uh, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other man, other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all that I have. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And I think that that story um, is a wee bit of what it means to be poor in spirit. The attitude of uh, recognizing that you're totally dependent on God. Whenever, and again, not a false piety, but whenever you find yourself, like Paul did, called himself the chief of sinners, that wasn't necessarily to, be, like, to think that he was so awful and so unworthy. It was almost placing himself that, that he was ne- if, he's, if he sees himself as a chief of sinners, he's no one to look down on. He's no one to look down on. So as I, consider, as I think about, about myself, there's certain challenges within this that I need to take on board. But as I think about the church, I'm asking myself the question, what does the church look more like as I engage with Luke 18? What's the reputation of the church? Does the church look more like the tax collector or does the church look more like the Pharisee? And I think those are important challenges for the church to ask and I think they're really important challenges 
for us to ask. And so that's, the, that's how I finish the, these, these two questions that I think if you truly engage with them, they'll wreck your head. <laughs> they'll, uh, because they're so counterintuitive, because they're so countercultural, because Jesus is turning everything on its head. And so I'm asking the question that I, I'm asking you the question that I've been asking myself the last couple of days. Are you living in your own strength? Are you living in life? Are you living life in your own strength? And what parts of your life are you dependent on God? And maybe what parts are you really conscious that you're not? And, um, and so you can let those two questions wash over you, which I am tempted to, which part of me would really love to. <laughs> but what, what Are you living your life in your own strength? Or what parts of your life are you dependent on God? So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would um, that you would comfort us and you would challenge us, that you would uh, motivate motivate us, you would stir us on. Jesus, thank you that um, that that the kingdom comes uh, and it and it and it shifts everything. I thank you, Jesus, that you came and you blessed those that no one else would bless. I thank you that. When your kingdom comes, God, everything's everything's different, and and Jesus, I pray that we would hear hear your words afresh today. I pray that we would hear your words today in a way that we take them seriously. Um, God, I just pray for a fresh dependency fresh reliance, a fresh awareness, a fresh awareness that we that we need you. God, all stuff that's easy to say, God, but I just pray that as we live our lives this week that it would be obvious in how we live. That we're living not in our own strength. That we're living dependent on you. So bless us. Thank you for each person that's here. Thank you for each family, each child. Um, thank you for each community, village, neighborhood that we represent. We just pray that we would continue to see signs of kingdom life everywhere we go in Jesus' name.